I'm Lauren Sega, Manager of Communications for Homeport, a nonprofit affordable housing developer in Central Ohio. We're in one of the fastest growing areas in the country, and while we've seen the growth, we've felt the pains that come along with it, especially when it comes to housing all of us and our incoming neighbors. Each month, we're interviewing local experts on the issues, the barriers, and the solutions around housing and development, hoping to shed some light on how we got where we are and what we can do to create a future that houses everyone. This is Level With Us. Whether you come home to a single-family ranch on a one-acre lot every night or share walls in a building with three other neighbors, your home is foundational to every other piece of your life. As our region continues to attract more people and businesses, our housing infrastructure has staggered under the weight. From 2009 to 2019, a single home was built for every two and a half jobs created in Columbus. Evictions reached record highs in 2022. And right now, a third of us are housing costs burdened, spending a third of our income on rent or a mortgage. This month, I sat down with Affordable Housing Alliance of Central Ohio, President and CEO, Carly Boos, and Homeport's own President and CEO, Leah Evans. We discuss what affordable housing is, the challenges we're facing while trying to build more of it, and what we have to lose, or if we take action now, all we have to gain. There's a lot of work ahead for all of us, whether we're housing industry professionals or just someone who understands the importance of home. Let's lay the foundation. In Ohio, we've got 11 million or so residents. We have 11 million different definitions for affordable housing. Everybody packs their own bag and that's their definition. That's Carly Boos. She's seen just about every side of the housing issue. As an attorney representing tenants facing eviction, creating policy at the Ohio Housing Finance Agency, and now leading the way to HACA to put out data that fortifies affordable housing initiatives. Statistically, right now, more than one in three runners are worried that they're two months away from an eviction. So if you know three people who run, statistically, those people are in your friend circle, they're in your family circle. Our residents are the workforce that you see every day. You see them at the grocery store, you see them at restaurants, you see them in your schools, uh, you see them actually working in the community in a lot of different places. And this is Leah Evans. She has a robust background in city and regional planning and has been with Homeport for 10 years, first as Director of Homeownership, then as VP of Real Estate Development. Now she leads as President and CEO, where she advances our mission to close the gap through innovation and building relationships with our public and private partners. So it is not just folks who are earning minimum wage that are struggling anymore. It's not just those households that are dependent on Uh, retirement or disability or public benefits who aren't able to make ends meet. You're seeing it creep up the income ladder. Look at, do the math for yourself. We generally say if you pay more than 30% of your income, then your housing costs burden. Um, And so you think about that. You may be making a choice to pay more than 30% of your income, but know that also puts you at risk just financially. Yes, more and more people who consider themselves middle class are feeling the squeeze. But of course, the stakes are highest for our most economically vulnerable. Those categorized as extremely low income. This just means that they're putting in 40 hours of work each week, but at a minimum wage. So they make just 30% of the median income in Franklin County. For those households, we only have 30 homes for every 100 families who need it. 
or stated differently, two-thirds of that need is going unmet every single day. Columbus has always been able to ride its strengths, being the home of The Ohio State University, being the state capital, having a lot of healthcare, insurance, and banking industry here. Even before the announcement of Intel's impending move to the region, we've seen steady growth. The Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, or MORPC, projected dramatic development and population growth in their Insight 2050 plan. So there's no question the development will happen. The question is whether it'll happen in a way that prevents our most vulnerable from falling through the cracks, and whether it'll make room for housing types that meet all needs. So I do think that in a lot of ways we are positioned because we are preparing for growth. Uh, what did they say? Um, stay ready, don't get ready. So I think we've been staying ready as a community to you know, bring in a lot of um, economic investment, a lot of uh, jobs. And now, you know, how do we bring the housing piece along? I think, you know, obviously we all have noted that that's lagged um, in some areas. So I don't think community-wide, I would say we're ready. We have the infrastructure, we have the foundation. Now, how do we fill in the gaps that we're seeing in certain areas and obviously how being the one that we're the most focused on. And it isn't just basic human needs that we are, or should be, building for. It's demand. It needs to be housing that empowers those who live there to build and nourish a community where they find belonging. And that idea looks very different for different people. That's why we have the diversity and variety of communities that we have. It's because people want to live in different places. Some people want to live in more of a rural township experience. Some people want to live in more of a suburban. Some people want to live in more of a dense urban area. We have all of those, and we need to make sure that we're making room for all of those. And I think that's not what our the current zoning code does. And now it's time to level up. Zoning. It isn't the sexiest topic to debate over too many drinks with family, but it does define how our region is developed. And the code we're operating on is 70 years old. And it shows. So in the 1950s, some of the biggest social policies that we were trying to achieve as a community were suburbanization. We wanted our cities to look like our suburbs. We wanted our suburbs to look like our suburbs. We wanted our rural land to look like our suburbs. Man, to be love a good suburb. So our laws are designed to reflect that. And the other big policy priority that our housing laws were designed to accomplish in the 1950s was segregation. And those imperatives, those priorities, is what the entire code was built on top of. And I'm not saying we haven't changed the words in the last 70 years. It's a total Franken code right now, right? We've got an ear from here. We've got an eyeball from there. We've got an arm. It's all sewn together. It's a complete patchwork that's very difficult to navigate. But the soul of that monster is still what we were writing in the 1950s. And until we get to the core of that and we change what the objectives of the zoning code are, we will continue to perpetuate some of those intentions. Columbus City Council has plans to vote in early 2024 to replace some pieces and parts, or maybe the whole monster entirely. In the next 25 years, we'll be living among 3 million people, and the current code isn't going to help developers keep up with that influx. Council's goal, with input from the pros and everyday people, is to loosen rules, eliminate delays, and address the ongoing housing shortage. Zoning plays a part in what, what you can build where. That's what it's designed to do. That's what it's for. But it has been used as a tool to be exclusionary in a lot of cases in a lot of communities. And so now trying to work 
against that and bring in um, housing and spaces where it maybe hasn't been or maybe the density hasn't been there um, then now those are conversations that you know bring out your community to think about okay what does housing look like for us um, there aren't really communities that are all single-family homes that's not really um, a healthy and vibrant community if you don't have those inner mixed mixed uses and mixed types and mixed styles of housing that serves the wider population need that you see in your community when you create different pathways for people to engage, you get a much more representative perspective of what people want. I, I am a true believer that our laws, not just the zoning code, but all of the laws that govern our society are things that need to be built by the people. So what we need to do is we need to get on the ground and we need to get to talking to folks and ask them, what do you want your community to look like? What are the things that you cherish and the things that you value and what is standing in your way of being able to accomplish that? Homeport has been able to foster community partnerships that do just that. Just a few years ago, we worked with the city of Whitehall to bring Eastway Village and Eastway Court to Broad Street, and Hamilton Crossing right off of Hamilton Road and Main Street. This added a couple hundred affordable units to area hubs in close proximity to amenities and necessities. More recently, we opened Mulby Place in downtown Linden as part of the One Linden Plan. You know, community place plan that was really driven by, you know, the city obviously putting the call out, but the stakeholders and residents of Linden came out, numerous community meetings, hundreds of hours of, of work to put together a plan that was really, really was representative of the vision that the residents and stakeholders had for the neighborhood. And so I think those are really helpful to the development community to be able to bring forward projects that are going to be responsive to those needs that have been identified. So, you know, one of the reasons that we, you know, focused in on senior housing at Mulby was in response to that plan and being able to bring options for uh, residents of Linden who want to stay in that neighborhood, love that community, love that um, that area and want to stay there and now have a senior specific housing product that's just for them. And so I think those are some of the tools that communities can use to be involved in the development process and not feel like development is happening to them or is happening in your neighborhood without that involvement is through community plans, through community meetings. Mindful development is a challenge because it's most often a profit-driven endeavor. Organizations like Homeport are creating affordable housing in the same environment with the same limitations and cost burdens as those creating market-rate housing. It's competitive and so requires buy-in from public and private stakeholders. We can look across the country for many examples of what happens when housing slips as a priority for those stakeholders. I think it's important to note at the outset that nobody has cracked this code, that affordable housing is a challenge nationally. And that is why a part of this conversation has to happen at that federal level. We need to make sure that our senators and that our House of Representative members and that our president all understand what we're facing on the ground, and they are building those big picture strategies. But it is really incumbent upon us to look at Portland and to look at Austin, and to look at Denver, and to look at Chandler, Arizona, and places that have gone through that before, and say, okay, if those communities were able to rewind and they were sitting where we're sitting now, what would they do differently? And lots and lots of them are very explicit in saying housing. you got to focus on housing. You've got to build housing in particular. I think we know what the doomsday situation looks like. We can turn to those other cities that have become giant tech hubs and they've watched housing affordability walk away. So we know what we don't want to be. We can look at New York. We can look at California. We can look at those coastal cities where they saw these same indicators, but they failed to get ahead of them. Mm -hmm. And now it costs $600,000, $700,000, $800,000 to buy your first home. And that's just not a Midwestern body. That's not something that we have ever looked at Ohio and aspired to. 
if we want to get ahead of it, that we got to do it now. That's just the bottom line. So there is no way that we can solve this unless we are also super intentional about creating grant programs and funding for nonprofits and funding for affordable housing developers so that they can meet that need of the most at-risk households with the lowest income. The research shows that having affordable housing, and I'm talking about housing that that HomePort is an expert in, the kind where you need federal grants for it to be viable, for it to even be able to be created, that kind of subsidized housing. It raises property values for the surrounding community because it is well done. It is high quality housing, and it is intended to have that secondary effect of promoting the neighborhood as a whole, not just the residents inside the walls. And it also is shown to reduce crime because you've got more eyes on the street, you've got fewer dark alleyways, you've got more residents in the neighborhood block groups. Affordable housing isn't just good for the folks who get it, it's good for the folks who live there too. It's been said before, but it bears repeating. Housing is the foundation. It's a basic need. It's quite literally a home base that can be a stabilizing force for a person and family. But we all need more than just shelter. We need access to food, transportation, community. We need connectivity. A lot of our neighbors, especially those we mentioned before, the ones classified as extremely low income, and our most vulnerable, our seniors on a fixed income, our neighbors who aren't able to work to support themselves. They need our support. So in our communities, we obviously want to create um, the quality of affordable housing. So we want it to be quality, we want it to be affordable, and then we want to, that community to feel like home, right? These are people's homes we're talking about. So we do look at what's the shared space look like, what's the community room, what's the, the playground if appropriate, what at our new Moby, there's a pocket park, right? So we're looking at not just the building in and of itself, because we are more than, you know, needing shelter, right? That we, we need more than just, you know, four walls around us. We need community that we're part of, that we feel safe in that we feel you know it's, it's growing and, and stable and, and really helping us to succeed and so that's what we look for in the built environment then also giving access so you have this belonging piece but now you also have this access piece so now they have access to that transportation access to those services you know access is a also a leading factor in affordability if I lived close to my job, I don't have to depend on my own private vehicle and grass and insurance and, and car note to be able to get to work, which is obviously something like the Easton example. If I live in close proximity to schools or grocery stores or things like that, then I, my dependence on the, that transportation isn't as heavy. Um, and, you know, vice versa for like healthcare services and, and things like that. So we do try to think about the place in and of itself and how it can lend to greater affordability because now you're looking at affordable living, not just the housing in itself being affordable. Mm-hmm. I think when we look at the things that our, our community is, is faced with right now, obviously, we, you know, violence and, and things being one of them, um, you know, then we have to acknowledge that there's a reason behind when we see crime and when we see crime in certain places and what we see happening. There's a reason behind the healthcare epidemic that we see. Um, and when we see, you know, healthcare declines or when we see infant mortality or the, there's reasons behind that. And we need to be willing to go straight at what those reasons are and to be able to use, you know, housing is just one tool to eliminate some of those social ills in particular ge- uh, geographies where we see it happening. When we think of these social ills and the effects of the housing shortage, our minds may go to the people we see at the exit ramps of highways, to folks seeking shelter in community spaces, to tents and underpasses. But as we've discovered, housing instability affects a far greater number of us than we discuss. We know from the data 
that that vulnerability is really widespread in our community. But you don't hear it at dinner parties. You don't hear it from your colleagues at the office. You don't hear it when you're at your mom's club or your flag football leagues. But we know from the data that we are sitting here all day, every day, surrounded by people who are in these positions. I think once you see that housing insecurity isn't that guy over there, it's this guy right here in front of you, we are automatically going to be more empathetic and we are automatically going to be more inclined to looking at real solutions because it's people that we love and we care about. Every day, every month, every year, um, every moment we're making that progress, we're doing that work, it's a long haul. Like we're not going to see, we may not see the fruits of these efforts. We're talking about development, right? So these projects take 18, 24, 36 months to come out of the ground. Um, we may not see the result for until 2030 or 2035, but the work we're doing today is what's going to alleviate those pressures for us in the future. And we have to stay consistent and um, committed to doing it and not think that it's going to be quick and not get tired and doing good work. I definitely think that that's you know exciting to me is that there's rich opportunity here in this market. It's a it's a great place to live. It's a great place to be. Um, so how do we make sure that that's true for everyone? Um, and I think that that has to stay present and in the forefront of our minds at the same time that we we can be willing to be a little prideful about oh like Central how Columbus got going on like we can still we can be prideful about that and and, and pump that up at the same time that we acknowledge there's there's room for us to grow. What gets me so excited, and I don't think we talk enough about, is the potential that we can unlock by fixing this problem. What we don't talk about is how my kids' school is going to be significantly stronger if we can make sure that every child who's there for an education goes home to a safe place at night. That the quality of education every single kid in that building receives is going to be better because we dealt with housing. And we don't talk about how the economic development uh, successes that we can see because of this are going to be ones that benefit all of us. That we can have more jobs, we can have better paying jobs, we can have more stable jobs and job creation. Because as employers are looking for new places to relocate, they're going to say, shoot, we got to get to Columbus because they've got it all figured out. And that doesn't just help folks who are lower income, it helps every single one of us. I think there is a somewhat selfish reason that we should be advancing affordable housing. It's not the reason to do it, right? We do it because we believe in our community and we want to see Columbus and Central Ohio thrive. That's the real reason. But if you aren't sold quite yet, do it because it's good for you, because it's good for your kids and it's good for your family. We have the keys. We just need to get them in the lock and open the door. And now we break for a side quest. Our side quest is an opportunity to quiz our guests and get to know a little more about them beyond the work they do in the community. For Carly, I pulled together a few questions related to housing in Ohio, and you'll see what I mean in a minute. Stay tuned, too, for some reading recommendations. All right, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. In 2023, what is the most common house color? Oh, it's going to be something beige. Yeah, I just know it's going to be a neutral. Those millennials and their neutrals, I say, with a healthy dose of self-skepticism. I'm going tan. Ooh. Not bad. I like it. I was surprised. Yeah. Uh, I don't often look around and see a lot of blue. I was thinking white. Yeah. I do know that the black door 
uh, is a real trend right now, and I'm I love that too. A black door with like a red wreath on it is just a gorgeous look. Okay, yeah, I like a yellow door, mm-hmm. a, little, a little bright sunshine moment. All right, question two. What is the average home in Ohio selling for in twenty twenty three? So I can tell you right now, in Central Ohio, it is three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. I would lower that to two ninety for the state of Ohio. Not a bad guess. Just a little high. Two forty four nine. Oh. Yeah. I, which I think is fantastic. It shows you that that the stuff that we're experiencing here in Central Ohio, it's not inevitable. There are folks in our own state who have found ways to bring down those prices. Yeah. More 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 course for optimism, I think. Let's hear it for optimism. Woohoo! Alright, which room is deemed the most important room in the home? Kitchen. You're right. Yeah. That was fast. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you know? Oh, uh, so when I was a kid, my mom was a police dispatcher and my dad was a firefighter. And they would have these fantastic ha- Christmas parties where they would invite the entire public safety force over. Uh, and by the end of the night, it was like 200 people crammed into the kitchen. It was so obviously the place to be. That's where my family is, too. And they have a TV in there now, too. So they just hang out at the kitchen table and yeah. That's it. No surprise. All right. We got two left. This one is multiple choice. I like the easy ones. Let's do it. What is the most common house type in Ohio? A. American Craftsman. B. Bungalow. Or C. Ranch. I feel like it's a ranch. American Craftsman. A. Really? Yeah. How classy. Ohio. I know. Really. <laughs> really showing out. I've got a lovely split level in Reynoldsburg. I would highly recommend that. Nice. I like that old 1950s style throwback. Yeah, I dig that. All right, last thing. This is as of 2019. This shocking percentage of American households still had a landline telephone. Shockingly high or shockingly low? Oh, no hints? I'm going to say. 50. 50-50 split. 31. Which I felt was shockingly high. Yeah. I My parents got rid of theirs, which they're as traditional boomer as you can get. Mm-hmm. So I was like, 10. Nope. 31%. So then again, my dad is out in Wayne County. Uh, and he has also forgone the home landline, but cell service can be a little iffy. So... I would I would give deference to folks outside of the big urban areas, and maybe it's just a, a lifeline situation. That's fair. Yeah. So I just have a few little um, personal questions for you. Deep dive into your personal information. <laughs> I'm not giving out my social. <laughs> ah, dang. Podcast canceled. <laughs> Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Wandsworth, Ohio. Uh, it's an exurb outside of Akron. Exurb? Exurb, yeah. Like as opposed to a suburb, it's an exurb. It's a, a kind of another ring further outside the city center. Okay. Um, lovely. Go go Grizzlies. I love that. Same. I grew up in an exurb of Cleveland. So. Where were you? Aurora. Nice. Yeah. Uh, where would you say you and your family spent the most time together in your house? Uh, so we have a kind of open concept house, and the living room is the kitchen, and the kitchen is the living room, so it would be in that, that mishmash there. Um, yeah, kitchen is, is kind of the central hub, so that's where we do our homework, it's where we eat our meals, it's, yeah, it's the center. 
What are you currently reading, if anything? Or listening to, if you do podcasts or... So I'm listening to a podcast right now. It's called Dreamtown. It's about the integration of Shaker Heights, um, both the, the neighborhood integration um, as well as the academic integration and what some of the challenges and opportunities there. And it's, it's incredibly interesting uh, read, and I would highly recommend it because I think there's so many things in it that even though a lot of the activities that they're talking about happened decades ago, very, very relevant today and very, very relevant to Central Ohio. I'm also on a more um, more social, more friendly, more personal level reading um, Women Who Run With Wolves, The Wild Woman Archetype, which is uh, phenomenally interesting. Highly, highly recommend that one, too. Is, is it fiction? So it is a sociological review of um, like myths and storytelling and kind of what the feminist narrative is behind them. Uh, it's also just very raw and very artful and very poetic, and I'm beyond in love with it. It's a book that's this big. It's giant. Okay. Um, Winter read. Yeah. I'm in. You can chop it up. It's each, each chapter kind of sits on its own, so you can pick it up when you've got time, and you can walk away from it when you need space. And okay. I love that. It. Great. Well, thanks for being a part of Level with us. It's been a great conversation. Well, thank you for the opportunity. This is really fantastic. I hope you I hope you have a lot more viewers in the very recent future. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Take care. Level with us is brought to you by Homeport and is recorded, mixed, and edited by Lauren Sega. All sources are in the show notes. Homeport creates strong communities by developing quality, affordable homes on a cornerstone of dignity, security, and opportunity. To learn more, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit us at homeportohio.org.